Hey, good morning, guys. Welcome to Bash University Live. Uh, winter has arrived back at our place, just like it did uh, at the Red Crest down at Lake Norman. It uh, it definitely arrived down there on the last day of competition. But uh, a big congratulations to Brian Thrift uh, for winning the Red Crest. And uh, what, what an amazing win. Uh, those of you that are subscribed to Bashu TV know what an amazing teacher he is. And, of course, we all know that he is in a class by himself. Well, a class with maybe only a couple others as uh, in the conversation, really. One of the greatest anglers to ever do it. And he won again on his home body of water. It was awesome to see him fishing through the snow and the, the, the cold, cold temperatures down there. So I want to invite you guys to go check that out at Bashu. Uh, all the amazing stuff. As a matter of fact, he teaches exactly how he did it. And we're releasing Practicing for the Future, a seminar that we filmed with Brian this year. Uh, we're bringing that up to the front of the pack, releasing that on Thursday. And this dives into the secrets of Brian's practice strategies, which are going to be valuable to anybody that fishes, certainly anybody that tournament fishes. So congratulations, uh thrifty that was awesome and today's yes congratulations uh a big congratulations to today's guest ben milliken uh man former bash university student he's he's been with us on bash university live before thrilled to see him crush a top 10 in his debut in the bassmaster opens he's on the road to the elite qualification he's doing the eqs he's fishing all nine Riz, what a way to start out, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's uh impressive, impressive first open. I don't know if it's his first open ever, but you know, first open of this year. And, you know, Ben's a talented angler. Um, there's no questions about it. He he has a bit of a a, a mix in, you know, what he has in his his fishing arsenal and kind of the route that he took to get to where he is. You know, he's obviously a very accomplished uh, YouTuber. He has a great content creation mind. Uh, he has an awesome platform that he puts out really good content on uh, on a daily and weekly basis. But the unique thing about Ben's road to that is that Ben was a tournament angler before he became a content creator. And he took the content creator route really because of, you know, the business opportunity that he saw in it. And, and you know, he's good at it. He, he is. He's, he's very, entertaining as hell. He's very good at it. And one of the things that, you know, you, you get from a guy like that that's creating massive amounts of content is you get to see him fish. He fishes a lot. You know, there's there's no there's no way around it. Time on the water is always king. It always will be. And, you know, we meet a lot of people, Pete, right? We, we meet the best anglers in the world. We meet people that are just in the industry, people that fish three times a year to people that fish 365 days a year. And sometimes when you meet people, you get those feels right. And Ben's one of those guys where you really feel like he he. He he's can got catch it. him. Like, yeah. like he, he's got it. He he knows he knows the hustle. He knows the grind. He knows how to fish. So you know it's gonna be a it's gonna be a fun journey to see how he does through the opens EQs. And I'm excited to talk to him today and hear about this first event. I can't I can't wait. You could uh, you know watching uh, I watched some of his uh, content that he you know filmed during practice uh, leading up to it, and um, you could see that he was you know swimming in his ability mm -hmm. so to speak like working that offshore pattern that uh forward facing sonar which he is on the cutting edge of that 
and just catching those those offshore pre-spawn fish and and finding uh, like seemingly finding those schools with ease and really which was a relatively challenging tournament for most uh for a lot of people down there so great Con we're gonna have ben on we're gonna be we're gonna be talking to him about practice how that felt and you know the thing that i was um concerned about uh, you know, or the probably the biggest obstacle to overcome is 225 boats, Oof. right? <laughs> You're it, it's it's one thing to be able to go out and pattern fish and find them and locate it, but being able to survive a 225 man field, knowing that you're going to have to give up a lot of your prime water, uh, share it, uh, make it happen, uh, when when the pressure's on, uh, that that's a whole different kind of fishing. And and man, he he nav navigated all that with ease. So uh, Ben's going to be with us talking about that. Did he crank it too? It's interesting. If you're a if you're a cranking aficionado, God, uh, looks like a fun I love bite. that name. Yeah, mm -hmm. aficionado. 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 Well, he showed it. He he, he pulled out his six cents, uh, two two crankbaits, and just really took it to the house. So that was pretty awesome. So can't wait. We're gonna have Ben on here in just a minute. So get your questions together. Um, that you might a, have for him. I want to give a shout out to all the people on the message board. He's today. hanging out with us today. Howie, we, Howie with us today? Of course he is. Yes. Howie. What's up, Howie? How are you? <laughs> we have Ken Elrod, Larry Moss, Rich Ogdegard. I'm sorry if I butchered <laughs> your name. Nick Mayberry, BKG, Logan, Burn, St. Cress. I love these names. Neil. <laughs> Jason, we got some new names, some old names. Awesome. It's a great day. Awesome to have you guys hanging with us uh, over on the IM board. Uh, by the way, we got, uh, as always, if you're watching us, if you insist on watching us over there on uh, on Facebook or other social media platforms, like and share the content, and we have a great prize for you. Uh, what is our like and share prize today? Waterwood Custom Bait. Yeah. Custom and for our grand prize, we have Hobie Eyewear. What? Yes. And hold on. I, I'm, I'm just double checking. But the last I heard, the pair that Hobie is giving away today is Carl Jockamson's favorite pair. Oh, nice. I think. And, and Shout that, out to Carl Jockamson having himself a good start to the year. Yes, Love to see it. Yeah. You know what else? I um, Speaking of Carl, is I noticed it in the Red Crest, Edwin. Breaking out the glide, the glide, yeah, uh, and and just crushing it uh, out from under those and that snowy, nasty day, just uh, breaking out the glide and, and doing extremely well with it. But to note, the new the sunglasses that we're giving away today are their new color. They're called the Everglade Satin Sat Satin Gray Satin Satin, satin. <laughs> <laughs> the satin. Diablo Gray, yeah, right. I don't know how what kind of marketing ploy that would be, yeah. but uh, Satan. Maybe run it up the flagpole with yeah. it. I should. That yeah. would be my <laughs> new color. Those are, those are a really good frame. The Everglades yeah. frame. They're they're yeah. I, they're my favorite of the uh, of the Hobie Eyewear series. And you know, I I mean, sunglasses are subjective, right? It's it's whatever fits your face the best, mm -hmm. yep. right? So if you have a face to look like mine, you should get the Everglades. <laughs> I have such a tiny face, so I, I asked him to send me proper pair for a tiny face, and he did. Awesome. And I love them. The Maywood, great. Love I got them. Nice. The Maywood for the small face. The uh, I got the Hank Cherry uh, floating uh, design. I love it. It is slick. It they is are slick. nice, and I like the red in them. I do like the color yes, red. Yes, it's very slick. Uh, we are brought to you by Tackle Direct Studios. 
Um, and um, like Jocelyn says, we're going to be giving away an awesome pair of Hobie glasses for our trivia question. So pay attention to what's going on today's show. We're going to be asking a question based on what you hear uh, us talk about. And uh, we're going to be giving away that prize. Um, and I also I want to give a shout out to Justin Hurant, our uh, our intern here at Bash U, doing great stuff and appreciate you uh, making the trip down after midterms. It's good to see you. <laughs> Yep, happy to be here. Excited uh, to listen to Ben today, hear what he has to say. I always enjoyed his videos. It's He's a lot of fun to watch, man. So and what you're saying is you'd rather be here than taking midterms? A hundred percent. We could arrange for more no midterms. We could. I'm almost done. I'm almost wrapped up with that. So. <laughs> you know what we need to do is we need to we need to produce a Bash University midterm for Justin to take live. Yeah, I, th I think so. <laughs> You know? Like I told you guys earlier, I'm you know, a better fisherman than I am student, but that's not saying much. <laughs> we'll see how that goes, but that could be fun. I bet yeah. our buddy Ken Duke put, could oh. put together a yeah. good uh, bass fishing history yeah. midterm. We and, don't need Justin yeah. to be stumped. Yeah, yeah well. <laughs> well, well, we'll give him some study sheets you know yeah we'll see how practice tests we'll see how it goes now but it's so uh funny. it's great to have you with us my friend and of course we got riz over there pushing buttons riz and i ran into each other catching no fish on the chesapeake this uh sunday yeah, uh, yeah. catching no fish. little uh <laughs> little little, little situation update out there you know it's you know it's still tough water's water's in the low 40s mm -hmm. but uh kind of get the feel that we're right on the right on the cusp of yeah. when it's about to start getting good you know we're we're seeing some of the signs yeah that, uh, that things are about to break loose so yeah bait fish Thank everywhere you. there's and, and you know you know what there's the the susquehanna is not raging this year so right we may see some good grass growth this year i'm optimistic and also with us it, today we have that lady <laughs> over there um, <laughs> uh which she is now her new aka um, is that lady courtesy of one of our viewers but jocelyn <laughs> great to have you with us great to be here awesome uh we've got the classic coming up i know you have got your hands full sure do but it's all gonna be worth it because everyone gets something basically yeah we're hooking everybody up we if are you, yep. if you're a bash you subscriber make sure you come by and see us we've got something cool for you down at knoxville if you haven't subscribed you can do it now you can get the our classic deal just launched. Uh, so check it out. Uh, you can it's it's $80 off our annual subscription, and that's available right now on bashy.tv. So if you're not so signed up, go get yourself signed up right now because you're not gonna want to miss Brian Thrift's practicing for the future as our uh as our first release with our with our new uh our classic offer going on. So we can't can't wait. We're going to Knoxville, it's gonna be a great classic. Uh, we've got our picks. Who did I just see? Um, uh, I was just watching somebody saying that they're getting ready. Fighter, fighter was uh, getting ready for a shallow water classic. Ooh. I know we were talking about it. Love to hear like, it. Is it going to be deep? Is it going to be like when Gussie won last time? Is it going to be a shallow water tournament? I picked Hackney because I I figured it's going to. So I was very uh, I felt good that fighters thinking it's going to be a shallow water deal too because mm. that that lends itself to my pick but mm -hmm. who knows it could we could get another cold blast yep. who knows what's and going i happen. picked brandon lester and john cox so i got them both uh, no, you only get one I get, nope i get two votes you that's get one just, you know the way the rules rich lead, is disqualified so. no <laughs> 
he is disqualified along with one of the open anglers this week. Possibly, apparently. allegedly, maybe, <laughs> perhaps. Uh, maybe, we might maybe, get into that. Yeah, we'll, we'll jump into that a little bit. Apparently, there's some controversy going on. The Bassmaster opens, hole sitting. Uh, who knows uh, what's going on there? But uh, we'll talk about that a little bit. And um, But that's what's going on. Uh, Epop Batteries, great to have them uh, part of Bass University. I want to invite you guys to go check them out. They have the industry-leading 11-year warranty. Uh, this is the 12-volt, 100-amp uh, battery that's going right into my Bass Cat. This is going to power up my sonar, my 360, my Mega Live. Uh, as I'm pointing to, it's not on the screen. There, uh, This is the one. It's going to be powering up everything uh, from side imaging, all four of my Solix 12 units. I can't wait to get this in my boat. Going to be delivering the maximum voltage uh, to my sonar units, which is going to add clarity. It's going to make them perform the way that I want them to. Can't wait to uh, to get these installed. Want to invite you guys to go check them out uh, and thank them for being part of the Bass University. We're going to take a quick break, guys, and we're bringing on Ben Milliken, uh, fresh off his top 10 at the Open. Going to be talking offshore pre-spawn fishing. That's happening all over the country. Probably going to happen at the Classic in just a week. It's probably happening this week down at uh, Think Lake Cherokee is where the MLF is fishing this week. It's all pre-spawn. So we'll be right back with Ben after this. What's going on? It's Riz here from the Bash University, and I am excited to welcome in Waterwood Custom Baits to the Bashu family. These are custom handmade baits in the South Rainforest of Brazil. They're made of Marupa Pedra wood. It's extremely dense, it's resistant, but it's also really buoyant. They're made of quality components with a 100% guarantee. They're made for tournament anglers to get it done when the money is on the line. Guys, that was like my second cast with this bait. That's a Waterwood custom bait these things are handmade in the rainforest south of brazil and i mean as you can see right here it's a fish catching bait it's got the front hook that means they wanted it this baits uh it, it's running really true it throws really well guys check them out at waterwoodcustombaits.com underwater viewing technology. Find what you are looking for. Catch more fish. Have more fun. Aquaview. Seeing is believing. Why do you love catching fish and rods? I'm truly losing less fish. Is the sensitivity of the rod. That's made right here in North Carolina in the USA. 
Strongest, lightest rod, 100% made here in Sanford, North Carolina. From the drop shot rod to the flipping stick, every rod has a purpose to it, and I rely on them all the time when I'm out there in a tournament. Durability in the John Cruz Worming series, the counterbalancing in the handle. It's the only rod I found that can withstand my hooks that boom goes the dynamite. On the water, not spent fishing is a moment wasted. That's why Minkota and Humminbird have joined forces to bring you the One Boat Network. Products that communicate and integrate to help you take full command of your boat. Born from our commitment to making the most advanced fishing gear even better by making it work together. The One Boat Network will help you find, get to, stay on, and catch more fish. When One Boat Network products talk to each other, they can navigate your boat automatically. They can give you a crystal clear view of what's below with no messy wires. And they can let you lower, raise, and change shallow water anchor modes from anywhere on the boat. But that's just the beginning. We're never done innovating, integrating, and making your boat simpler and easier to control. All so you can make every second on the water count. Welcome back, guys. Um, I want to give a shout out to our friends at Cash and Fishing Rods. We're, man, this is one thing we're really, I'm really excited about the classic. We have so many giveaways. Uh, we're going to have a raffle uh, for anybody that, that participates in the classic, anybody or, you know, signs up for Bash U at the classic, our, our subscribers that come see us at the classic, donators to the Ike Foundation. We have so many uh, um, ways to enter our raffle. But one of the prizes is going to be a brand new cash and fishing rod. It ride. is. Um, we can't say too much yet because they're releasing it today. But they did release that John Cruz Icon Series. They came out with a new rod called the Big Bait Rod. Big and Bait Rod. it's a rod. limited edition. Ooh. So they only made a certain amount of rods. And the first 50 of them, they had signed by John Cruz. And the first 50 people that purchased the rod get a signed John Cruz rod. Awesome. And we might be getting one. We might be getting one. Ooh. Well, we're going to be giving away one of those at the Classic. We love our, our Cashins, our Icons. Um, uh, love those rods. Been using them, really, for the last several years. And uh, check them out. You get a great program, a uh, great discount over if you're a subscriber to Bash U. What's, the, what's their, uh, it's, is it 25? Um, 20? Can't remember. Jocelyn's looking it up right now. But it is a fantastic program, as well as if you're a subscriber. I was just talking with uh, an on-water training customer I was out with uh, this weekend. Shout out to Greg, who has been with us a long time, and he participates in the Rapala VIP program and just could not stop raving about uh, how valuable that was to him and how often he uses it to stock up on his VMC weights and Rapalas and different things. So um, go ahead and check that out. Without any further ado, I want to bring on the guy that crushed a fifth-place finish in his Open uh, just recently down at Lake Eufaula, a friend of the Bash University, former Bash U student, a YouTube sensation, and uh, and now a top-ten angler, hopefully on his way to his, the elites. Ben Milliken, how are you, man? What's going on, Pete? How we doing? Man, doing great, doing great. I, uh, you know, I was jealous watching you guys because I'm fishing just Division Three in the Opens, and uh, and I was, uh, you know, I was a little jealous watching you guys fish down there at Lake Eufaula. It's a historic fishery. I've been there just a couple times, but I really liked it down there. You did too. Yeah, I love that lake, man. I, uh, I honestly, I wish I could have stayed down there a few more days. It was so much fun. 
Um, I'd heard it had been fishing well the last few years. And then leading up to the tournament, there was some good weights and stuff in tournaments uh, leading up. Um, but yeah, when I got down there, there was just so many different ways to catch them. And of course, after four and a half days of practice with 200 and some boats, um, that shrank it up a little bit, but still, man, <laughs> it fished so well. It was so much fun. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I was listening back to the last time we had you on, uh, really the, the first time and it was it was great you know we had uh clark wendlett had just won the aoi on bass masters i think it was just before covid crushed everything yep. and um uh, and that you know it was cool because it was during it i had it yeah <laughs> you you had it at the time yeah i remember i was og covid though <laughs> OG. <Yeah. laughs> the bad the bad version uh well we're glad you survived and you did too ben because you were sitting right next to him at, yeah at, at, <laughs> but it was it was really cool and um and it made me feel great and you reminded uh me that you were at our bash university in dallas way back in 2010 yes sir one of the very first and uh, what an incredible experience that was i'll say it again just like i did the first time i was on here and it's so cool to see how far you guys have taken this uh you you sent me that membership last year and i think i've watched about every episode you guys ever come out with now and it's it continues to help me well, man, I, man, that's, I appreciate that. And that's, uh, that, that's a really powerful statement coming from you because we're, we're watching you, uh, lead the, the, the cutting edge on dealing with forward facing sonar and catching giant bass. So, uh, I mean, you really are making a name for yourself in that realm. Oh, I appreciate that, Pete. That means a lot coming from you. And, um, yeah, I think last time I was on here, maybe I hadn't just, Hadn't quite had the opportunities that I've had now um, living down in Texas the last two years, being able to really implement what I've learned and then just learning every single day on all these different types of fisheries. I think that's not only do we have giant bass down here in Texas, but there's so many different types of fisheries that you're really able to just, I mean, I, I'm fishing an area today. I'm, I'm in the truck right now at a truck stop because the lakes we go to around here don't have any Wi-Fi service, but um, I've got three or four lakes around here and they are all completely different all within a half hour, 20 minutes of each other. Um, so being able to bounce around and seeing how these different fish populations really react has really let me, you know, sharpen that edge. Well, I appreciate you getting off the water and hanging out with us for a while i'm i i, I really do <laughs> with all those big double digit fish around I, i'm uh, i appreciate you accommodating us <laughs> <laughs> i appreciate you man no it's 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 great the now la i you hadn't moved to texas last we talked you were nope. you were still out in nebraska yep i was uh you know born and raised in nebraska lived there my whole life and then about Oh, uh, I think I was on in December when I was up there fishing with Ike and, and filming with you guys. And then I think it was that uh, in March or April that I moved down here to Texas. So, yep. You liking it? Yeah, we like it a lot down here. It's definitely an adjustment. Everything's, um, everything's different, that's for sure. But um, I think we like it a little bit more all the time. That's cool. I, I noticed you. Uh, I love your uh, tournament jersey. Uh, yeah, man. Yeah, I was uh, I was sure to say that in the uh, actually the first day of the open video is coming out tonight at 6 p.m. Uh, but in there, you know, I kind of just said straight up like I live in Texas, but 402 Nebraska, that's my home. So that's what I uh, that's what I wanted to represent this year. 
man, that that was really cool. Uh, the the four hundred two. I'm like, I'm looking that up, and I'm like, man, that's that's uh, right there in the heart of Nebraska. That's pretty cool. And uh, you know, you see all the tournament jerseys flying around, and uh, he's representing. I, I, that was really neat. I like to see that, and and the uh, the the images of of your guys on the boat is really cool too. Yeah, for sure, man. I'm excited for that. Um, we haven't quite got the boat wrap all nailed down. That kind of fell through last second. But um, I don't know if you saw, but I was able to get this uh, full deck decal, which is super cool. A customizable, um, 100% customized full deck wrap. So it's a, it's a just like your typical sponsor decal um, material, except it's the entire deck front and back. And that stuff's awesome, man. Well, I was looking at that. I saw that, and I, I man, this looks awesome. Uh, I don't know if you know, but I have a difficult time staying in the boat. So I've heard I, that. Yeah. <laughs> my first concern was traction. Yeah, of course. Yeah, maybe like some safety rails up on the sides, like you know, like they have at Major League Baseball safety. fields and stuff. You still probably find a way over though, Pete. Oh man, it's true. <laughs> It's sad, but it's true. <laughs> you need saltwater rails on the side exactly. of your boat. Exactly. I, I do. I need you a gunnel. You should have got a walleye boat this year, Pete. <laughs> I thought about it. I, I should at least tether myself to the to the hull somehow. <laughs> you know. <That's> right. <laughs> but no, that that did that that looked uh, amazing. I saw that on your uh, and I watched uh, the the uh, the last two episodes of your open. Um, and and as it was really interesting watching you practice and uh and i'm like i'm clicking i'm like well where you know i'm looking for the next i can't wait to watch the next uh, edition so <laughs> i'll be uh i'll be tuning in tonight to see i know how it wraps up but i still want to yeah. see it <laughs> well i appreciate it it was actually it was really exciting how it uh, how it all kind of went down we kind of talked about it this morning you know i felt like i was the some of the maybe the most dialed in i've ever been in a tournament prior to that one um i just didn't know how many people would find some of the stuff i found right um and so that was kind of making me nervous going into it uh and really i was disappointed the first day with the size of the fish that were on the spots based on what i had caught there in practice um but regardless freaking crushed them at the first spot um had a super fun day there and then the next day i really uh Really learned from that first day uh, of the tournament, and really uh, was able to put a big limit together the second day. Well, I, you know, I watched your practice session, and uh, I wanted to ask you about that even, be, you know, before I watched it. And uh, you, I, I, your strategy was you looked at a bunch of different waters. You, you seemed to, you you almost could tell that all right you're I'm an offshore guy you you just you wanted to be that that that's your wheelhouse that that's that's your strength right yes sir definitely so you you know you could see that in your practice period because when you were up in the shallow water catching granol and uh and slopping around up there you you were offshore and when you when you were offshore I gotta give you uh, a compliment here you you look so comfortable in an in in the type of fishing that i gotta be honest most of the people watching this are probably challenged by but it's you were you were so comfortable is that come from your years fishing out there in texas um 
yeah, some of it, but I definitely, that's how I preferred to fish back in all the tournaments I fished around the Nebraska area. Um, right. Iowa, Missouri, Kansas, Nebraska, South Dakota, all lakes. Um, a lot of them ha- are mostly man-made lakes and most of them under a thousand acres and really to be competitive, not even to be competitive, to have a chance to win those tournaments 90% of the year um you had to fish offshore and find those offshore fish and so i really had a lot of comfort doing that and i i don't know there i i'd be lying if i said i didn't look at the uh the list of anglers when it finally came out um the the roster when they sent it out to us the couple days before practice um i'd be lying if i said i wasn't nervous when i saw that list i was because you know you know about ish monroe and bobby lane and I mean, that's just to name a few out of all the dozens of phenomenal anglers that are in the opens field that are fishing all nine of them. But then you, I pull it up and you got Brandon Palinick, Greg Hackney, Steve <laughs> Kennedy, Drew Cook. Um, God, I'm going to leave so many guys out that are excellent anglers just bringing this up. But you see that and you're like, I'm, I mean, I'm not competing against those guys because they're not fishing in points. But if I, I just knew going into it that if – I was going to have to go mix it up shallow, especially if I'm going to have to spend three or four days with the trolling motor on 10 looking for bed fish. Like that's not my strength. I love to bed fish. I can catch them like that. I have the patience to do it, but that's not how I wanted to fish that event. And so when I really started doing some scanning around and saw that those fish just weren't quite ready to move up, even though the water was in the high sixties and even into the seventies, a lot of times, um, I, I was going to wait them out there on the pre-spawners offshore and see if I could make a run of it that way. That seems like something we've talked about here in the last few shows, Pete, where like a lot of these tournaments, it seems like the guys that figure out the ones that are still coming, even if there's, even if there's fish that are already up, they're already doing their thing. And it could be even, you know, the mass, you know, majority is, is already up. Mm-hmm. But when you figure out the ones that are still out and making that move up, man, you get right in a hurry. As we saw with, you know, you know, you put out a video on your Instagram, man, of, of a quick limit. I guess that was day two. Was that day two that you, that was day one. That was day one. Well, I mean, first, my first cast as an open angler right there. How awesome is that? And how, and (laughs) how long did it take you to get that limit in the boat? Uh, Six casts. I don't don't need to worry about those other guys. (laughs) (laughs) yeah i wish that uh there was a tornado came through or something obviously no one got injured or anything but they had to cancel the rest of the tournament after you know that first 20 minutes i would have won it (laughs) yeah i'm 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 gonna win it right now (laughs) did you have an early draw on day one yeah i got kind of lucky i was boat 12 the first day yep but at the same time um no one was around me and no one tried to come in and fish that specific spot so i got kind of lucky there of course once i got that limit and felt like i wasn't going to upgrade night and, and no one had driven by and seen me there um the first couple hours i was like i need to go get after some of these four to seven pound brush pile fish i've been seeing surely i'll be able to catch some of those and so as soon as i pull off it i fish for around for about a half hour um, there's two boats on it. Um, and that's the rest of the day. Couldn't never got back on it, but oh, what man. was that day one group? Like, what were they set up on? So it was, um, it was a major spawning Creek, a pretty big spawning Creek. And if you look at Lake Eufaula, I kind of really broke it down in that video, but, um, just a long river and, um, main river channel lake, North and South narrower, two to three miles across. 
And then there's probably seven or eight different major spawning creeks off each side of it. And the cool thing about Eufaula was that uh, we don't really have, when you look at like Rayburn and Toledo Bend down here on our big reservoirs, there is like a very defined creek channel that goes all the way from the main river channel all the way like almost to the back of every single one of these major creeks and that I, just that's the best corridor you could ever ask for that you could just go right down the edge of it one way and see if they're on it and then come right back on the other side of the creek channel scanning and practice and see if they're on that um but it was definitely it's it was the first spot it was right at the mouth of the creek and there was a ton of bait fish there there was uh it was a hard spot kind of on the sweet spot of it right on the edge of that creek channel probably the most prominent point that came out right at the mouth of the creek and um very uh very obvious traditional spot even being boat 12 i was kind of surprised that i was able to get there hmm. one, one of the things rich that and you, you got to go check this out and i'm i'm impressed that you're doing doing this is you're exposing everything you know what i mean you're showing everybody exactly where you're fishing where these schools set up for you uh that's a bold move yeah and i was that's one thing i was super excited about with the open series this year is really being able to make it be a, a learning lesson um for my viewers and the people following along because down here in texas man I'm like, I'm two hours from any lakes that are any good at all. And there's not that many of them that are two to three hours. And there's such a huge fishing population down here in Texas. I can literally affect where fish set up and where they are biting by when I post a video, because the entire school, the entire fish population group will get moved because of all the pressure that goes to one spot after I make anything obvious at all down here. Um, so I never can talk about where I'm at. I never can put the drone up and show what lake I'm at. I never can show the boat ramp. We miss out on all these great filming opportunities to just provide some context. And instead it's, oh, hey, guys, I'm out in the middle of the lake again, uh, catching fish. That's the start of the end of the video. And as people that make fishing content and videos, you guys understand that that kind of gets monotonous and repetitive to the viewer a lot of times. But this whole opens journey is a story for me. And so that's a huge part of the story. And I want people to be able to learn. I also understand that fish are constantly moving, fish are changing. And so I can show some of this stuff. And if it gets beat to death, the fish aren't going to die. They're going to move somewhere else. And if we do go back next year, the year after that, then I'll catch them a different spot. It's true. Cause I'll be honest. I I've gone back to lakes for 20 years. Uh, and it's like you almost never catch them off the same place that you caught them the year before anyway. You For know? sure. So being able to, to share that with the viewer I thought was special and, uh, and really cool. Um, I noticed uh, you, you – one of the things I noticed you were – you have two different mapping systems. You had your Lawrence uh, and your, your Hummingbird, uh, and you were comparing the two, and, and uh, you showed how the, the Hummingbird showed – a roadbed that didn't exist on the other because hummingbird mapping is way better than anybody else's. Uh, but, uh, but, but seriously, I, I thought I've been doing that with paper maps for years. Like you're showing your age. Yeah. Well, yeah. For people watching. Don't hey, know what I, paper map love, is. I love to get paper maps too. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> but uh, I, I put, I, you know, my favorite way to use a paper map now is I put it up on the wall at tournament practice uh, so that, you know, we can 
get in contact, you know. Punch a bunch of holes in the Airbnb wall. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that. That's actually good, Pete. I might have to do something like that. It kind of keeps you, uh, lets you see where you've been, where some of the spots you want to check are. I like that a lot. That's a really good idea because you're sitting there at night drinking a, a drink and, and hanging out or, or about to go to bed or talking to your buddies or whatever. You don't want to be out sitting in the boat scrolling through your electronics and stuff. It's a cool way to look at it and have a bigger spatial view of it. For sure. It's a, yeah, it, it's the big picture, right? You can see that the fish are in the lower end, the central end, the upper end, and and you can put everything in context that way. And it's hard to do it on your sonar because you're looking at a little uh, like shot of a particular part of the lake. But yeah. uh, but I was pretty cool. I I you know I, I I didn't really consider that the different mapping systems probably show things differently electronically. So that was that was eye opening to me. Yeah, there's a there's a huge advantage in that. And I haven't run both, both brands of units uh, or even Garmin for that matter. I've had all three Garmin, Humminbird and Lowrance on my boats the last four years, um, different models of them. And then this year, so I've got the Humminbird and Lowrance and the console. Phone call. <laughs> Sounds like he's running all the, all three brands. Yep. The, all three of the major brands on his units, which seems to be a, a, a popular, uh, popular thing right now but yeah the uh the hummingbird mapping really is uh really is strong it with the one thing that you notice in the guys that don't have a electronics sponsorship or electronics deal they will almost always have a hummingbird at the console for the side imaging for the yep. mapping because they just play play so well together they 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 correlate together just wonderfully the uh the the side the hummingbird side imaging is just uh that 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 was the OG, right? That, right. And it continues to be the cutting edge, and that's where you spend most of your time. Mm -hmm. And I, he was commenting about during his practice that he put like twenty seven hours, something like that, on his outboard during that practice period, right. which is a a lot of time not fishing for for you guys that uh, you know, are out practicing. It, it just shows or fishing. It just shows the importance of looking uh identifying the habitat especially if you're fishing offshore habitat the importance of uh putting that extra time in as we wait for ben to try to get his signal back with us yeah that really is something pete that it's hard to do man it's hard to hard to really commit to your electronics and put in that that seat time that screen time to find what you're looking for but man when you find it it's always worth it, it it's it, always, it always plays out well and it looks like we got ben back let's get him back on yeah it, it's always it's always worth it because you'll find that needle and you won't find that needle in the haystack unless you do commit and i i call it locking your rod lockers because it's such a temptation uh to to open up those rod lockers and make some casts but uh but you were talking we were talking about your electronics yeah. then yeah sorry my, i got a phone call my phone had a heart attack there um <laughs> Yeah, so basically, you know, I got Lawrence and Hummerbird um, on each at the console there, and that allows me to have both mapping options open. Plus, I always have on my phone, I got the Navionics app, and I got the One Boat Network app now, and I got the C map on there. So it it's a lot of screens, and I know everyone likes to gripe and complain about how fishing is all on your phone and electronics, and you couldn't find them if you didn't have this or that, but... I'm going to use every advantage I can possibly have to to find the things that I'm looking for based on the experiences I've had with a rod and reel in my hand. And I know what I'm looking for. And yeah, I was, I'm really able to um, find different, different 
pieces of structure, different pieces of cover on these different apps. And it's different everywhere you go in the country. That's That was one big thing for me as well. I wasn't just there, there you know, Humminbird and Lake Master isn't just better than CMAP and Lawrence and the or, and Garmin's mapping for that matter. I have Garmin's active captain app too. Um, I just went to Toledo Bend our last day before cutoff the other day and Lake Master there was terrible. I have the, the best chip card and everything for it. Doesn't even compare, or I'm sorry, not Lake Master. Um, CMAP and Lawrence doesn't even compare to how Thank good Lake Master is. Thank there. you for fixing that for us, uh, Ben. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> I, I know we got to make the sponsors happy, but but I mean, the, the Lawrence wasn't even usable. There, it didn't show ninety percent of what was actually there. Whereas that you follow the Lawrence, the CMAP showed a lot of good stuff, and so did the the Lake Master. They both had really good mapping there. And both totally different mapping there. And so I, I know it's going to be that way as I travel the country this year. And so I'm definitely going to keep both at my fingertips. Yeah. I, yeah. That's, that's certainly, uh, that's a great man, but oh my gosh, how it's got uh, to be, to me, it sounds like I'm dialed into Humminbird. I, I've got the software. Uh, I'm comfortable with how I move around the unit. Uh, Man, you move seamlessly back and forth between all three units. That's a massive amount of operating systems that all have their <laughs> different buttons to push. Man, that's that sounds tricky. Yeah, it can be a little bit tricky. I, I've kind of and that, like I said, that was the I, I had like 0.7 hours on my boat prior to going to that tournament, so it was the first time I had been using both of them in conjunction, but I figured out pretty quick what did I wanted to do with that. And luckily my, my buddy, um, give him a shout out, uh, Captain Ron, Ronnie Kelly down here in Texas. He's a guy and he does a lot of electronics trips and he's just a great human being and a great fisherman. I was able to call him and, and get some base settings, um, and some kind of more advanced stuff too, on, on, on both my, my graphs, um, and my mapping side of it too. Um, so shout out to him. If you're down in the Texas area, I need your, your stuff looking crisp. He is the guy. Captain Ron? Captain Ron, that's right. All right. Captain Ron. There is nothing more frustrating than when your units or, or anything on your boat isn't performing correctly. It's like, you, you're, you, I would drive to Texas to get it get it yeah. dialed in if I was in a bad shape like that. Yeah, I care, it, it, it scares me to death going to a, a tournament like that where you're probably going to be offshore and you're, you're using that stuff for the first time. Uh, boy, so much could go wrong. So big shout out to Captain Ron for uh, getting that stuff dialed. I've I've been. It's always I call it the new boat blues. You know, it's it's fun to get a new boat. It's awesome, but oh my gosh, this this wiring needs to be changed. Or this battery's over here and there, but uh, uh, yeah, you got to fix this and that. But yours yours was tight, uh, which is really really awesome. But and, after the electronics, after you find them, you got to catch them. All right. And you were doing a lot of a lot of cranking on this in this event. Right, Ben? Yes, sir. Uh, that was definitely... a little bit about those those six cents crankbaits you were slinging because there was two, if I recall correctly. Right. Yeah, there was three in practice, but really it got dialed down to two. Um, yeah. Cranking was the deal for me for the most part until the very last part of the last day. And and um, it seemed like. And, you know, that's it's nothing new. It's nothing uh, out of the ordinary that these offshore fish like a big crankbait and they like it winding, especially pre-spawn fish. But, um, 
yeah, I feel like I'm pretty dialed into my live scope and uh, how the fish are reacting and how they're setting up. And I tried all different types of baits and really that crankbait, especially early in the day, seemed to be what you had to throw in, really blast past them to get them to react. Those you follow fish, you could tell are smart. They see a lot of baits, especially those bigger schools. They, they're definitely not stupid. Um, and yeah, so I, I would start with a 500 DD, which is kind of the shape of like the the bomber fat free shad but it's a bigger bait than that it's um it, it kind of it doesn't have a real super wide bill um or like the the hooked lip like our cloud nine series does that you see on like the xd versions of the strike king you know with the little kind of flange on the the tip of the lip that allows it to dive at a steeper angle um it, it more so is just a kind of a, a narrower rounded off lip. And so that allows the bait to kind of roll more and swim down to depth. Uh, it has one, one knocker rattle in it, kind of a, a lower pitch knock in it. And like I said, flat sides. So it's, it's a big aggressive um, looking crankbait and presence in the water, but it still is kind of more subtle with those flat sides and that, you know, kind of rolling action as opposed to the real sharp side to side um, digger style that you, that you see in a lot of crankbaits. So I would start with that one. Um, and I mean, that bait, I was thrown on 15 pound line and I was still grinding bottom in 22 to 24 feet. But Ooh, anything that you was were out there. Yeah, anything that was deeper. Yeah, a couple of the schools were, were way, way out there that deep. But anything that was deeper than 12 or 14 feet, I'll even throw it down here in Texas in 10 feet of water just because I want to. If, if there's fish in a drain and I want to cover a lot of water, I want that bait on the bottom for a hundred, 120 feet, you know, on that bomb cast. Um, it doesn't blow out a lot. It, it runs pretty true because once again, it's not that super hard hitting nose down profile. Cause like on some of those super sharp diving crankbaits, when they hit something, they'll roll over and blast all the way five feet up off the bottom. If you're really burning them hard, you know, this bait kind of just like digs and, and kind of rolls and, and works its way around. I think that's something that gets overlooked a lot when we're picking our deep diving crankbaits and what we're really trying to do with them. So that was the deal. Chartreuse patterns seem to really be good down there. There was, it wasn't super stained, but probably two foot visibility almost everywhere in the lake, two, two and a half, one and a half to two and a half, I would say. Um, but the chartreuse patterns seem to get bit best. And then when I would pick a few off of a school, I would switch up to um, our C15 crankbait, which does have that wider lip and that wider um, action, but I, I threw it in a see-through color, a real nice natural see-through shad color. And I could usually get at least one or two more to bite after I blasted the chartreuse guy through there. That's a great one-two punch. What, where, what Did anything else play down there? Uh, a jig or a swim bait or any, anything yeah. play? Yeah, man, the, the second day of the tournament, I I caught my limit and everything cranking, but I really mixed it up, man. I think I caught them on like 10 different baits that second day of the tournament. Um, I don't know if I – well, you guys are cool. I'll tell you, I I, uh, I caught some actually on a tube. <laughs> um, Ooh, yes. And, yeah, I, I was free rigging a tube, and they were eating that better than any other dragon bait that I, I found. I think that um, – you go to the tackle stores down there and you can't even find a tube because <laughs> no one throws them in the South and no one throws them anymore. It's such an old school bait. Um, but it was really crazy, man. I would, I would throw a swing head, a jig, um, a shaky head, whatever, 
when I saw a group of fish in front of me and they wouldn't touch it. Sometimes they would bump something and I'd throw the tube in there and a couple ate it on the fall, which is, <laughs> it's wild. But, um, that is wild. Holy crap. Yes. That's, that's huge, man. That were you like rigging it like great lake style, like exposed hook and all that. Oh no, I was throwing it actually on a free rig. I was, uh, I, I had it on a Texas rig, real light hook with a free rig. So yeah, that, gotcha. that weight would, would slide up the line real nice. And then it would probably stop the bait there, probably three, four feet above it, you know, cause that bait's coming down. It's spiraling real hard. The weight hits the bottom and then all of a sudden it'll flatten out level for just a second there. And I think that's probably when they were eating it on the fall. Um, but then it spirals down to the weight after that, I'm sure. Um, which is good. They ate that really well, but yeah, I mean, that second day later on, I caught some dragging a swing head. Um, what else did I catch them on? I caught them on a five inch swim bait on a three quarter ounce jig head. I caught them on what I call a hover juggle, which is like a hover shot rig with our juggle minnow. Caught them on a three inch swim bait on an eighth ounce ball head. I ended up uh, pulling two out at the end of the day on a hair jig. I caught them on a wacky rig on a flick shake. Um, I need to know more about this hover juggle. Hover juggle. I, that name. I don't know anything about it. I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> Come on. I sit here and talk nauseam about that bait. It's kind of like a technique. Uh, I didn't create it, but I kind of did down here in Texas. And it's you definitely made up the name. I did. Yeah, it's super hit or miss. It's like they won't touch it, or it's all they'll eat. Kind of like a hair jigs um, on some of the offshore stuff, but. Basically, it's like a it's like a four inch fluke bait that we have with it's real buoyant, so it's like level in the water. It's got a real thin tail with a little bulbous um, section down there on the tip where it forks off. And I run a ninety degree jig hook, a little one out. Um, it's actually it's a Victory one zero one one one, which is like the old discontinued Gamakatsu O'Shaughnessy bend jig hook. Um, you, you spear it in about three eighths of an inch back from the tip. And that's the most important part, um, of the bait. And then you just thread it on and it's exposed hook. And then you put, I like an eighth ounce nail weight in the front of the bait. So it looks like there's a jig head there, but it's not because a lot of these guys are fishing like the, the Biwa rig, they call it, um, the Japanese anglers, they'll throw like a 16th ounce ball head in a fluke style bait and they'll just hop it to live scope fish, you know? Yep. But what I found is that that moves the bait too far forward a lot of times, especially when you're targeting individual fish. Like you can hop it real slow over a group of fish and catch them like that. But when I'm targeting individual fish, that because the, the pull point is back from the point of the bait, and God, people that are listening to this, it's probably not going to make any sense. But because the pull point is three-eighths of an inch back from the tip of the fluke bait, it almost creates like a wacky rig and resistance right. in the water. Right. So when you pop it, and I just hop it the whole way, and I hop, 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 once it gets down above the fish, um, it almost allows the bait to just kind of hover or stay right there above the fish more so than every other single bait they're seeing move forward every time it moves. And I think that that's just enough to trigger a lot of those fish to bite. That's interesting. I, I just saw that uh, style uh, come across the – of course, my TikTok feed, and uh, <laughs> that that's it, that's pretty cool that um, that you use that in the tournament. You used everything, but what what's what is becoming a uh, I'm becoming aware of like back in the day, right? We'd get on these offshore schools, and you would cycle through your tools, right, to try to figure out what the juice was and what they would respond to. 
but now it's so much more efficient because you, during your cycle you can you can see what's happening all right they're they're not responding to this and you can move quickly I, uh, cycle cycle so much faster than than we ever could before because you can see what's happening down there yeah of course and that was a big thing i haven't really told or talked to anyone about was that main spot where i caught them so fast on day one so day two i come back on boat number two 15 or whatever because you flip the flip the draw but i got there and gary klaus is sitting there with a the crankbait blasting them on it and so i came up to him and i was like hey what's going on man i never met gary before and i was like any chance i could come fish this next to you i'm not going to cast over you or where you're casting i just i can stay off to the side and kind of pick some of these fringe ones off if that's okay and he was real cool at first. He was like, who are you? And I told him, he's like, what'd you weigh the first day? I said, 18 pounds. He's like, all right, come on in. He's like, just remember if, if I need, I'm probably going to need something in the future too. And I was like, all good, man. I appreciate it. I caught my fish here day one. So I would love if I could just fish it with you. And That's awesome. Cool. That yeah, is awesome. It was good. He had like four in the box by the time I got there. And it was slick calm that morning. And so he had kind of drifted up on top of the spot. And he even said, he's like, I'm having a super tough time with spot lock blasting me all around. I can't get set up. The wind kind of keeps moving around. I was like, yeah. And, and we kind of talked and talked about different ways to catch him on the spot. And after a while I had caught one three pounder and he hadn't caught any more because that bite was drying up pretty quick. And he's like, I told him, I was like, all right, I'm getting out of here, man. Good luck. He's like, I was going to get make one more cast and tell you the exact same thing. I was, he's like, as soon as we leave, someone will jump on it, I'm sure. I was like, yeah, but they're busted up, man. We'll, we can come back later. So he's like, all right, cool. He said, I don't even think I'm going to come back to it. I'm going to, I got other stuff to go run. It's like, sweet. And so we both leave, go fish other stuff. I was able to go actually the first spot I found, I caught a five pounder that was huge cranking. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to go run some brush pile stuff. And so I go to run some brush pile stuff and I run back by that spot and no one was on it still. And the wind had picked up only like 10 miles an hour, but there was some chop in the water. So I was like, all right, screw it. I'm going to go back there and see if they're set up a little bit better. And as soon as I got there, I kind of, I turned like all my back electronics. I only left um, live scope on and I eased up to it real slow. And I saw that they were set up way better on it after we had left them alone. Nice. And so I caught, finished out my limit really quick cranking. And I kind of realized there was a bunch of shad kind of blasting through the area. And there was actually, uh, when you, if you watch the video tonight, I, I said, if it was a, called the white bass master open, I would have won the damn thing. because <laughs> I caught so many white bass and hybrids mixed in right there next to them. Um, and so there was a lot of that going on and the fish would spread out. But what I noticed was, uh, and I really saw this on live scope. When the fish would spread out, they would stop eating that crankbait and they were either out chasing bait or I had caught a couple of them and they were broken up. And that's when I would pick up that flick shake or the swing head of the tube and kind of fish out. And so I would kind of drift my boat back once that happened and fish it out because there was one real distinct, hard, um, little tiny, probably the size of my truck spot where they liked to group up and eat that crankbait. I kind of figured this out as it went on. Hmm. And once they kind of disappeared the scattered fish either they had moved off to chase bait or whatever 
I would kind of ease back up to that spot and I would wait for them to group back up. And as soon as I saw five, six, seven, eight of them on that spot, I'd throw a crank nade and usually I could blast a good one out of them. That's, I, I got a question for you about like Lake you follow. Those fish just love to be offshore. Uh, I noticed this like, like first time I fished it, I fished there in a post spawn and like they were cr pre practice, they were all over the banks and then. Uh, come back during the tournament and there's not a fish to be found on the banks and every fish is out. And it, it seems like in the pre-spawn, they're out too. One of, but one of the big factors in the post-spawn is current generation. And I wonder, did that, did that play? I know you had a morning bite and that's common, right? Even when there's no lot, not a lot of current, but did the current generation play into your, your patterns throughout the day? So I didn't think it did at all, actually. Um, like I said, when the wind picked up and we had some environmental changes, that seemed mm. to be when the bite would improve. And, of course, that low light first morning period. Um, yeah, I wanted it to. I wanted to think um, that that was part of it, especially because I was pretty close to the dam. And when they started pulling, I would be able to see it there first. Uh, but, man – all throughout the week, they would change the generation schedules. One day it would be for three hours in the morning. The next day it would not be until the afternoon. And then during the tournament, they ran water um, consistently, even on the Saturday, all day. And I never saw an increase in the bite when it when it turned on, when they shut it off, when it was running, when it wasn't running. Right. Um, the environmental factors of wind, cloud cover, sun uh, seemed to be what was making the fish bite. Do, do you I think in I don't this know if that's a pre-spawn thing as opposed to a summer post-spawn thing or, or what it is? But I, I was just going to say, do you think that's like a time of the year deal where like in the pre-spawn, you were fishing out front of big spawning creeks. like So they're going where they're going regardless Correct. right and they got to eat more of on a schedule because they're kind of in that transition going in where on the way out on the for the post-bond deal like they can kind of be lazy they can get on that stuff and then just wait for the food to come but when the moon's changing when the water's getting warmer when the, the days are getting longer they gotta go like they, they gotta make that move and so you know it's it's more feeding oriented based on just like ben saying the the, the weather not necessarily the current generation schedule like you get in the summer I think I think there's something to that, Rich. And I also noticed because I was pirating all your spots, <laughs> and uh, the uh, the a lot of them are outside of the main current flow, right? Because yep. they're they're migrating right. in, and and that's why I was curious is if the because I have a theory that uh, and you just proved it wrong, um, but uh, the. Uh, like fish get conditioned to that generation schedule. And even if they're on the bank, they might bite better when the current's running just because they've been doing that their whole lives. And, and I'm sure that's true sometimes, but in this pre-spot, it seemed like your spots, like they're, they're secondary points. They're kind of right. out of the main river flow. So I guess current probably yeah. doesn't help them as much. Yeah, I think that's a big thing to think about. Um, you know, I'm, I'm talking about fishing hard spots, offshore ledges and stuff when I'm talking about the spots I found for this tournament. But they're totally different types of spots than those fish would want to get on post-spawn and all summer long. Right. There was so many beautiful river ledges, secondary river ledges on Eufaula. Some of them had hard spots. A lot of them had great shell beds. 
There's brush piles everywhere. There's the front of islands, back of islands, current bricks. There's even some grass out on some of that stuff. And I had a couple shell beds that had some fish on them, but besides that, they were not interested in being out there. And I know, I know in a month they will be there, but um, they weren't interested in now. So that's something I think that we can all take from that. Um, and there's no truths in bass fishing. There's just uh, experiences and you build upon them. But definitely uh, was fishing creek channels and points, secondary points, a lot more than those river ledges. Can you expand a little bit on what you mean when you say the fish are set up right? Like they they set up to where you can see them and you feel like you're going to get a bite. Like what does that look like versus when they're not looking set up right? Yeah, for sure. Um, so they were I, – I was following these corridors exactly, this these windy creek channels. And so, like I said, they started all the way out in the main river channel where it was 60 to 80 feet deep. Creek channel then was, you know, 25 to 50 feet deep all the way back. And then up on the sides, there's these big giant flats. Um, so up on the sides of them, it might start off 35 to 40 feet deep out by the main river channel. But as it went in, it would kind of slowly taper up. And those bass didn't want to set up in 40 feet of water. They didn't want to set up even in 25 to 30 feet of water a lot of places. Um, but as I kind of would go in where a creek would dogleg to the side and then up on top right there, if it was shallow enough that they wanted to be, which was generally in that 12 to 22 feet of water range, um, and you saw a group of fish within 40 feet of the deep drop off there and they were all together mm -hmm. more than five fish. Those are the ones that are going to be biters Bite, and yeah. usually they're bass. Now that's, it, it was like I was talking about, it's a little bit different there. And I think all over the country with how those fish react to different predatory fish being there, because down here in Texas, a lot of times if a group of white bass or especially hybrids moves in, those hybrids can push those schools of bass off there whether it's they bully them off or they just don't want to set up with them. So a lot of different lakes that can wreck your bite. Like one day, the first day of practice, I found the spot that it was actually one on pull in there, blast three good bass. Didn't have any problem catching them. It was five days before the tournament started. And I was like, cool, that's a good spot. I'll check it as the week goes on. I went back in there two days before practice and I was like, sweet, they're still there. I'm going to make one cast to check them throw it in there, lock up a good one. I'm fighting it. Seven pound hybrid. I was like, Oh mm. no, the hybrids came in and pushed them off. Cast yes. in there again, six pound hybrid, another cast, six pound hybrid. And I was like, what was this? And I was like, this is fun anyway. So I'm going to catch a few more next cast, five and a half pound largemouth. I was like, okay, well, I guess they're okay living together. I'm out of here. Went back the day before the tournament. I was like, they're still there. I made one cast, caught a four pound largemouth, rolled out. And I'm talking about pulling in because there's 70 fish there, um, not because there's like five. Like, there was a huge school. I wasn't worried about it. There was no boats that could see me. Otherwise, I wouldn't have even stopped. Um, but yeah, so, anyways, where I was going with that is, you know, a lot of times these, these different trash fish will move in. I guess we call them trash fish, but different species will move in. And it just depends on the fishery, I guess, whether they want to be there with them or not. And that's something that was was also making me nervous in this tournament too. That's interesting. I've uh, I've had pike like I fish obviously a lot up north, and the pike will come in and chase schools of smallmouth out. But what I found is if the smallmouth are big enough, they'll they'll hang right in there and feed together. Right. 
similar to what you what you saw with those stripers in the back. Yes, it's interesting, and that and that's another thing down here. They call them barfish here in Texas, but that's a big deal for Rayburn and Toledo, and as you saw with Livesey uh, at Lake Fork. Um, the little whites can push the bass out just because they're so aggressive and they're eating so many bait fish. But if the, the whites or barfish, whatever they want to call them, are small enough, then those six to 12 pound largemouth just hang around and eat the whites too. Um, didn't have any of those you follow, but uh, and the whites were all two to three pounders. But yeah, it was uh, interesting dynamic. Well, speaking of the uh, you know, crowds on you know, on the fish are crowded. The fishermen were crowded. You did a heck of a job, uh, I and I applaud you for dealing with Gary Klaus, like going up and, and communicating and uh, and and working it out. That is always the 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 best way to go, in my opinion. When you're in those big crowds, and, and shout out to Gary Klaus and Phoenix Boats for those who might not know that Gary is the owner of uh, Phoenix Boats. But uh, it, you did a great job, Gary. Man, shout out for managing that too. Uh, that's hard to do in a 220 boat field. I mean, um, a lot of guys do that the wrong way. Applaud you for doing it the right way. Yeah, there's. I think it usually gets done the right way. The it's not as sexy when it gets done the right way. That's for sure. It doesn't make <laughs> for as good a content. Um, and so I think you see a lot of the, the bad experiences. I don't know. Maybe there was even a bad experience or two that got shared from this tournament on video. that was uh, a lot more viral and interesting than my nice conversation with Gary Klaus will be. Um, but yeah, that's the way to deal with these situations. If he didn't want me fishing there and I asked him, then he could have told me and I would have said, okay, that's fine. But at the same time, I could have driven by that spot and been like, oh, Gary Klaus is there. That dick saw me fishing the day before. He's just, he stole my spot. That's garbage. And then go cry about it and tell my friends, well, I would have won the tournament, but Gary Klaus stole my spot. But that's, that's not the way to go about it. And I think, you know, you got to just, you got to, you got to communicate with people. I, I agree. Cause you, if you, a lot of guys would drive by, you know, or, or even worse, they might pull up and say, Hey Gary, I started here yesterday. What are you doing here, man? This is crap. Yeah. You're in on me, you know? Yep. Agreed. And he handled it like a, a true professional. I had more weight than him the first day. He was, I mean, he's out there trying to jackpot the tournament to win it. He, and he was, he knew he wasn't going to, so he was just trying to get a check. So, you know, I maybe had a little bit more precedence to the spot since I'm trying to get points in the opens and everything. And I had more weight than him the first day. And we just kind of easily hashed it out. There's there's a lot of gray area in the sport on, on stuff like that, but it went well in that situation. And that's gonna that's gonna benefit you down the road. It really will. There'll be a time, you know, you guys uh, be you'll be in that situation again, and uh, you'll you'll benefit from that, and so will he. But I, I you you touched on it. I want to touch on it too. I mean, did I don't know if you know any any more details, but there was a apparently a DQ for a, a whole sitting uh, scenario that was going down out there that was not very pretty. Uh, did, are, did you hear any more details on that? Was there a disqualification? I don't have any more details on that. It's all just rumors and speculation at this point. And um, yeah, it's too bad the situation happened like that. I could definitely tell from, from talking to some of the people that live down there and I'm, I'm not going to get too into detail about specific individuals because apparently there's like law involved in stuff now. I'm not trying to get sued over something, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, um, there's some, 
that that whole Alabama area, man, that's a that's a big tournament culture down there, and that's you could tell there's some toxic um, individuals and some toxic environment down there just based on hole sitting and pulling brush piles off places and fishing my brush pile and my point or what and whatever. But yeah, we, we haven't been told anything publicly about um, any disqualifications happening. I've just heard rumors that it's happening. Um, and I was actually that whole situation with that video that went viral was on that, that spot. I was just saying where I caught the three hybrids in a row and that was my main spot. I wanted to fish in the tournament. Um, and I actually went in there later in the day and I saw the individuals fishing there um, that were in the video and I left. I didn't, I didn't stop there, even though I knew one of them um, and, and talked to him and stuff, but it actually, it, it kind of benefited me um, later on in the day. Um, I went in there and I'll, I'll just say my buddy, Tucker Smith, uh, I'd known him. I just kept in touch with him because he won that bass pro um that u.s open tournament the million dollar one and so i had kind of kept in touch with him a little bit and so i pulled in later in the day and he was still fishing that spot and it was like 2 30 and i was like hey dude cool if i come in here he's like yeah no problem come fish this i'm casting here if you want to cast whatever and so i fished but he was on the juice and so i was like all right you can have it dude when, when are you due in or when are you gonna roll out of here he said three o'clock and so i came back about 3 30 because I was able to fish till five. Yeah. So I, I guess I'll just kind of run through it quick. But the first day of the tournament, I was talking to Justin Barnes because he was staying a few houses down. He knew the guy that lived where we were, the guy and Justin ended up winning the tournament. And we were talking and he's, he's like, man, I think we started talking, you know, I found him here and, and we're going to, I'm catching him kind of like this. And I, I knew he was fishing offshore and he's like, how many, how deep are the fish that you're, looking at and i was like i oh, probably like you know one spot's like 18 to 22 and he's like how many fish are in the school and i was like oh probably like 50 to 70 and he's like yeah i think we found the same fish and i was like i don't know the name of the creek he's a local he's like and he said the name and i showed him on my map he's like yeah he said he was going there and he didn't really have much else and i was like all right well i got two schools well i started on the one and caught a bunch of threes and fours well he started on that one and caught 25 pounds and was leading the tournament Whoa. But yeah, the next day, the same, all that crazy stuff happened with the people yelling at each other and stuff. And like I was saying, I don't want to incriminate myself, but um, <laughs> I don't know anything that's happened with anybody getting DQ'd or anything. I don't, they haven't made that public. And so I'm going to stay out of that and, and we'll kind of talk about it once uh, maybe it's if something does happen. But um, I pulled back in there at about 2.30, and I had known uh, Tucker Smith from fishing that Bass Pro U.S. Open tournament, and we'd kind of talked a few times since then. Well, Tucker was on the spot, and I pulled up, and kind of the same thing as I did with Gary, and I knew he had been fishing with other people there, too. And so I said, you know, is it cool if I kind of pull in and fish over here? And he's like, yeah, totally, man. I'm casting this whole area. You can fish over here for sure. And so yeah, I fished cool. a little bit he was catching a couple small ones at that point. He's like, it's all burned up. I can't catch them. And I was like, yeah, I can tell. And I didn't catch any. And I fished it for like five minutes. And I was like, I got other stuff to go fish. I'm out of here. And I was a late boat number that second day. And so I actually didn't have to be in until five 40 or five 20 or something, which is crazy. And I was like, when are you going to, when, when do you have to roll out of here? He said about three o'clock. I said, okay. So I, about three 45, I rolled back in there and everyone was gone. And you know, the sun's like starting to go down and stuff. It's late afternoon. 
And um, I knew everyone had been throwing big crankbaits at them. And so I threw a crank like one cast and nothing would touch it. And I actually was able to pull out the the old hair jig and, and get some of them pressured fish to bite. And I upgraded a few times there that I think I, I calculated it. Nice. I caught a five and a half pounder five minutes before 10 minutes before I had to go in or something. And that fish was a $7,000 fish for me um, because it was a two and a half pound coal. So yeah, I was, I was right there in the mix in the midst of all that, that crazy stuff going on. And it was a lot of, uh, a lot of people fishing next to each other in a couple different spots. Did you, did you hear the hollering and screaming? Were you that close to it? No, luckily um, when I was there, I think that had all happened already. And I was like, I was three miles away from there at that point, but yeah what was your what was your hair jig were you doing like the preacher jig style uh, yeah yeah yep okay. big white uh kind of feathered no trailer kind of th- deal yes sir I, uh, I i did chop it down a little bit i like to cut some of the hair out of there because i really noticed that the uh the fish were keying in on smaller bait it seemed like i could not get a big bait bite the whole week so i tried to make it as small as i possibly could um mm-hmm. and they liked it well, that's awesome. Did you, did you have anything, uh, like, could have you, could you have won the tournament? Did you have any mishaps? Did you fish clean or how, how did that whole thing go for you? Yeah, I fished pretty clean. Like I said, I think I could have won the tournament if I could have got to that, that spot first, or maybe if mm-hmm. I didn't even have that conversation with Justin, um, we both could have, I'm sure we both would have fished it together if, if I would have beat him there or if, if we would have both gone there. But I don't have any regrets or anything, man. Um, the first day, uh, I was kind of disappointed. I had that 18 pounds because I caught, I had 17.9 pounds in like the first 40 minutes. And so I, I really felt like I missed an opportunity to get up in the low twenties that day. And then it really made me wish after the second day that it was a three day tournament and not cut down to two, because I'm pretty positive. I could have blasted another 22 at least off of uh, some of those spots and kind of made a run for it. What do you think about that? Did, did, did the wind actually blow? Was it actually nasty on the cancellation day or, or not? It was, it was nothing like was predicted in, on mm. every single weather database, unfortunately. And, it, and they said that they were more worried about the straight line winds like you guys are experiencing. They were coming with the, front, the storm that was going to blow in more so than just the 20 mile an hour winds they were predicting. But yeah, it was it was pretty much calm for the first three or four hours of morning, and then it picked up to like fifteen or twenty for a little bit, and then it kind of went back down in the afternoon and picked back up fifteen twenty. But nothing crazy ended up coming through, um, so kind of sucked we weren't out there. Yeah, yeah, I, I hate that uh, personally. Like, I, I hate when they cancel stuff on a forecast because you know, yeah. wind, wind is the hardest thing in the world to forecast and. Um, it seems like uh, the, the, my tournaments that I've been involved with, it's, it's never as bad as the forecast says. It's. I think they're trying to sell commercials on the weather channel. Definitely, you know? definitely. I mean, think about how many people were tuning in and you follow Alabama looking at the weather that day. <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. Yep. Well, uh, nonetheless, amazing tournament. Uh, props to you. Congrats on your debut. Uh, what What's next? Um, just fishing around here. Everything I'm going to be doing uh, is to prepare for the Toledo Bend uh, Open. So I'm I'm dialed in, man. Not not that I really have to fish too much differently with my uh, filming and, and stuff in between to prepare me for that because I'm down here at least. That's the closest open to me. It's only about two and a half hours away. Nice. The fish act there a lot like they acted a lot of the, the lakes around here. So 
nothing out of the usual for me. It's funny you say that because I, I said earlier that the fish like to get offshore at Toledo or at uh, Eufaula. And yeah. I've heard that same thing said about Toledo Bend. Those fish just, they just want to get offshore. Yeah, I know they do. Um, I've honestly, I went there the last day, I think it was Sunday before cutoff. And that's the only day I've ever been there before. So I have very little experience there. Um, but they, they definitely, they act different. These Florida strains in these grass lakes act differently than anywhere I've found around the country. Um, they definitely like to get on very certain pieces of cover and structure that I found them on the other day. Um, and another big player with that is going to be the different phases of spawn um, because it's, it's again, way different down here with these Florida strains and Southern lakes. They can spawn from December until June at a lot of these lakes, whereas a lot of guys going into that event, I know are going to say that's going to be a bed fishing or post-spawn event when that's not all necessarily going to be true because they can come in all these different waves for four or five months. And because there's such a big fish population, that's awesome that, uh, you know, you're fishing lakes like that. And uh, I, I can't wait. I'm going to be following this whole thing. Um, I want to if you I want to ask a couple questions. We had a lot of I am questions that everybody want to talk to you. And I know uh, with our situation, we kind of couldn't get to many of them. So I want to thank Frank and Chris Westbrook. Uh, I want to ask you this one, though, because it's a it's it's a it's a simple one. Dan and Alan both want to know about a line through um, that you came out with. So I want what what's uh, what's your new line through and where can people get it? Yeah, unfortunately they can't. It's not going to be out <laughs> until we're hoping for uh, May or June release on that. It's going to be a really cool bait though. Um, we're calling it the Hangover Swim Bait um, <laughs> because the uh, the hook hangs over the back of it. it is a top hook line through swim bait. That's and awesome. yeah, people have seen me catching 10 pounders on it already on the prototypes. We're going to release it in, I think, eventually three different uh, sink rates, but at, at the very least two to come out with. And I'm super pumped for it. I got one tied on right now. I'm probably honestly going to go catch a 10 pounder on it today. That's, have you kept track? How many 10 pounders? How many double digits do you have? Well, I kind of lost track. I, I stopped keeping track a little bit this year because I went through a stretch where I was catching a ton and I stopped weighing a bunch of them. But um, I don't know, the last, bef I think as of uh, December, I had caught like 42 in like 16 months or something. Whoa. So Whoa. it's been, it's been good for sure. That's amazing. That's amazing. What's your PB? 14.7. Uh, 14.7. That, that a Texas fish? Yes, sir. Most of them are Texas fish. Yeah. yeah. I caught a, caught a 14.2. Um what was it november i think this was it the spring maybe it was in might have been like january february but i had decided since i was fishing the opens i'm not going to use a net anymore and so i've just been lipping everything over the side of the boat to get used to it and um yeah i reached down and grabbed that one and i thought it was like a 11 pounder 10 11 pounder and i was i was pumped about it but i was like whatever i threw in the live well for a little bit i was like i'll weigh it later the school's fired up yeah, I threw it on there. It was a 14. I was like, oh, God, I just lipped a 14-pounder. <laughs> that's that's so awesome, man. I, I'm envious of that. We uh, we spent a little time in Texas, and I want to give a shout-out to the, the Share Lunker program that they're running there in Texas. Freshwater Fisheries doing such an amazing job at cultivating these, these giant fish down there that 
seems like you're catching more of them than the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, they're definitely down here. And if you know what to throw at them, they, uh, they will eat. They're, they're fun to catch. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I'm going to let you go and let you catch some more. We're going to be watching that on the open. Look forward to bumping into you at the, the opens division three. Um, I guess we'll see each other, uh, down at Kerr Reservoir here yeah. in a couple. Just I was couple gonna, months. I was gonna ask you that. I'm not familiar with what the divisions even are since I'm fishing all nine of them. I just think about the next one. But is that Kerr and then St. Lawrence and what's the other one? Uh, Watts Bar in Watts September, Bar, okay. where I where uh, if you catch uh, five fish that week, I think uh, from what they say, it'll be a good tournament. <laughs> well, it won't be that tough, Pete. <laughs> I hope not. I hope not. But it's uh, that, that, you know, September is a bear no matter where you go. Yeah, um, we got we got Ozarks right after that, too. And that's a great fishery, but it's also going to be tough there. Yeah, no doubt. Well, we'll be rooting for you, man. I appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us. And uh, I look forward to seeing you in a couple months. Yeah, whenever whenever you want me on, Pete. I really appreciate you guys' time and everything you guys do. Hey, thanks so much. Uh, right back at you. If there's anything we can do for you, I mean, please don't hesitate to reach out. Appreciate you putting up with the power outage and uh, and good luck the rest of the year. Uh, we'll catch up with you soon, Ben. Thanks. I'll send you a picture of a 10-pounder in like an hour. <laughs> don't. I will be so upset. Thanks, Ben. <laughs> thanks, <laughs> oh, man, that was great. The great Ben Milliken. Uh, man, just, just uh, shocking. Um, I guess maybe not so shocking to come out and just crushing the first open um, and starting off, man, in great shape to try to make the elite qualification uh, with the Bassmaster Open. So it's so cool. By the way, we're still doing a, a Facebook like and share. By the way, Josh, I'm going to need a winner of that at some point here in the next couple of minutes. And uh, so if you haven't liked and shared the feed, take your opportunity to uh, to get that done. And we also are going to be doing giving away a trivia question which uh, if you could work with Rich and get me that trivia question, uh, right now would be a good time. <laughs> and um, and we're gonna be wa we're gonna be watching that. I uh, want to remind you guys we're brought to you by Tackle Direct. Uh, we're in Tackle Direct Studios here at the Bash University. We're gonna be giving away a pair of Hobie uh, sunglasses for the winner of our trivia question. So you guys wanna wanna wait for that with. Are you ready for yo? Yo, you're you're already, they're prepared. I thought we were going to be. Ah, Jocelyn's Jocelyn's preparing the like and share winner right now. She's going. So hurry up, hurry up, like and share the feed. Uh, last chance. So uh, go ahead. Can you read the question, Justin? Yep. So what is the name of Ben's rig? Meaning the little setup he was talking about that he came up with his own name for. Ah, what is the name of uh, that rig that he is? somewhat crediting himself for designing that that rig he talked about that he uh yeah he did he did uh play a role in the design of that used it uh to catch fish in a certain way and it had a really cool name it kind of rich blew his hair back and he had to stop what he was doing because that was pretty cool i had never heard it at that name before either yep. and it's a it's a two-word name we got the winner for that already oh my gosh they got it fast they got it fast so E plus Lou got it first. The hover juggle. The hover juggle, and that's the that's the key is and and I, I want you guys to, you know, tune in for that component of it. That even the, it's in the name of this bait is the hover. A lot of the baits that guys are using uh, to catch fish off their forward facing sonar have that 
uh, hovering, right? That hovering component, that ability to stay uh, where they needed to stay for a little bit longer uh, to allow those fish that they're seeing on forward-facing sonar to be able to keep it in front of their nose, to be able to keep it up on top of them a little bit longer suspended so that the fish can come and, and take that bait. So uh, by, by rigging it the way he rigs it, which is the bait, the hook is uh, slightly behind the nose with a nose weight. It almost makes a wacky worm. Uh, he was talking about that and it allows that bait to hover just a little bit longer. So that's pretty, pretty awesome. Hover Joe, congratulations for the winner of that prize. Jocelyn, you're <laughs> we, joining me? We do. We that joined, lady is joining That lady me? has joined. <laughs> we have a like and share winner. It's Ben Purvis. Purvis. Ben Purvis. Congratulations. We're going to hook you up with some cool waterwood baits. And uh, yeah, I just real quick want to bring something up. So you sound, you look like you had something to bring. I Here, did. come on over. I'm coming. <laughs> All right. So I'm new to bass fishing, as everyone knows, but you know, some things really bother me. The things you learn, like match the hatch and make sure the bait looks real, and that's what they go for. When I was reading the Bass Bass Blaster, this guy, Koyo Kujito, <laughs> almost won on a fuzzy dice. He did. It, it's yeah. exactly what that is. It's a fuzzy dice. Uh, it's a cube with like rubber strands confused. sticking out of it. You yeah. guys are just all confusing at this point now. We we do make it more complicated yes. than it needs to be it sometimes. Is. But that's pretty that's pretty freaking complicated. It's only a prototype though. So yeah. I don't know if it's out yet, but yeah. We've seen, you know, one of the coolest things that I saw the uh I can't remember the name of the bait. Oh my gosh, but it's awesome. It was uh they play hide and seek. Kind of like, you know, the cat mouse game but they have a, a bait that you throw on a spawning bed and it's like kind of like a shelf and the bait floats up and then they pull it back in. Oh, that's that They let it full and, and the and the bass comes over and they pull it back in and it just <laughs> aggravates the fish uh into biting. It's way kinda off like the charts. In real life when the the guy chasing the girl and playing tease and then you try <laughs> and go grab them. <laughs> I kind of like that. Kind of like that. But this this, but that this is, drove me nuts. <laughs> yeah, that that is unique. Put can you post that picture? I can yeah, I'll send it to I don't know how to get it on there right okay. now, but I'll send okay. it to Rich. But yeah, par pardon us because we can uh you know what? There you go. Let's go. Let's go down and dirty, baby. That's how that's how we do it when we lose our power <laughs> and the whole studio shuts down. But that's what it looks like. It is crazy, man. It's it's just a little rubber cube with rubber skirt hanging off of it. Guys, I wonder what made him think of designing that though. What was the purpose around that? What what was he trying to mimic? Uh, you know, what we follow in trends in, in baits, Joss, is really kind of tricky or interesting, really. Like we started down the road of spoons and they had some early prototypes of crankbaits. This just kind of, to me, lets me know that we've just scratched the surface on what will trigger a fish to bite. And that's really all we're trying to do. We're so often caught up with matching the hatch, making something that looks like a crawfish, a bluegill, mm -hmm. a shad, uh, even a bird that falls in the water, right? We match and we're matching the hatch. Little Yeah, the forage, the food chain. Mm -hmm. But... You know, bass's brain is the, is tiny, tiny, right? What else? And and they're uh, what's the word? They they will feed on whatever is available to them by nature, right? They're a, they're a predator, but the, they're a capitalistic feeder. Whatever's available. So 
what are the things that can trigger them? I bet you that's just probably that's one of a million new lures and things that uh, that we're going to find out here, especially with forward facing sonar. This is, um, you know, just throw a Senko, Rich said. <laughs> but uh, that looks that that was made after a pen, right? The Senko was molded after a pen, and that's probably the most effective lure ever. So uh, with forward facing sonar, we're, and we talked about this with Ben, you can see the fish react to the presentation and you can adjust so much more quickly. So new lures, new concepts, you can get them into the schools, see how they behave, see how they react. Who knows what's coming down the pike, but a new a new series of lures, I think, is on its way, starting with the hairy cube or whatever the fuzzy. The hairy is. cube. It's whatever. called the candy. The candy. Okay. Well, uh, it's weird. Guys, next week, uh, we're going to be leaving for the classic, but we are going to have a classic preview show. We're going to be talking about Teleco Loudon. We're going to be uh, going down the road of who's going to win, uh, what what the patterns could possibly be. Is it going to be a deep water pattern? Is it going to be a shallow water pattern? What do you think? Well, uh, we're going to be next Tuesday talking about that, and we'll let you know all the deets on that show. Appreciate you guys watching, and uh, thank you, Ben Milliken, for being with us. Really appreciate it, and we will see all of you guys next week. Bye.